this week is Holy Week. And Holy Week is a time where we celebrate, starting today with Palm Sunday, we celebrate uh, the coming week and what it represents. Um, this coming Thursday, you have Monday Thursday or Monday thir- Mon- Thursday. Uh, Friday, you'll have Good Friday. Saturday, we don't celebrate anything because Jesus is buried on Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, we celebrate uh, what I believe is biblically to be called Resurrection Sunday, um, not Easter. Easter is actually a pagan name. Uh, it comes from the goddess Ishtar. Uh, and so I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Um, and so to that end, because today is Palm Sunday, um, we are going to, uh, to go through a passage of Scripture that celebrates Palm Sunday. We're going to see Palm Sunday live and in living color, as it were, throughout God's Word. And to give you kind of a background on this, um, this obviously happened thousands of years ago. Uh, this is 2020, uh, so this happened probably sometime around 8030 to 8040. Um, Jesus was actually not born at AD zero. Um, likelihood, he was probably born a little bit before that, um, depending on the timeline of things. Um, and on this day, so many thousands of years ago, Jesus is already starting to prepare. And in fact, he has already started to prepare prior to Palm Sunday. And, and I know that, and we know that, because in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 12, Mary um, Magdalene has anointed Jesus. And nobody realizes that it has happened other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, one person, Judas, sees it happening, and because he's a greedy uh a greedy so-and-so, <laughs> uh, he actually says, hey, we, sh- we could have used that money to uh, you know, do ministry, even though the Bible says in his heart he really wanted the money for himself. And Mary has taken uh, an alabaster jar and broken it and poured it over Jesus' feet and anoint him. In verse 3, it says, Mary then took a pound of nard, a very costly perfume, and anointed his feet. And so as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, He has been anointed as king, and nobody realizes it but Jesus and potentially Mary. I don't think Mary knew what she was doing when she anointed him. I think she was simply worshiping him. Um, But Jesus has been anointed by Jesus. And then today we are going to see what many call the triumphal entry. Uh, And depending on your version of the Bible, uh, in the heading over verse 12, it'll either say Jesus enters Jerusalem like it does in my Bible. Uh, It may say the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. But ultimately today is Palm Sunday. And today is the day that Jesus does something that is very, very ironic. And nobody realizes it. Today, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they are celebrating the fact that their king is here, as we'll see in just a few moments. But the real reason for Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem is vastly different. The real reason why Jesus Christ is coming into Jerusalem is to start to prepare to die. So it's hard to, prepare, to start to prepare to die for his death, for the cross, for an event that will be horrible and a blessing all at the same time. And for those type A people that are out there today, there are going to be three people that we see, uh, and by the end of this message, we are going to see whose king is Jesus. And that may not be grammatically correct. I'm not a grammatician, I'm a preacher, so if you know of a better title or a better way to phrase it, (laughs) comment below. But the title of the message is, Whose King is Jesus? Because we're going to see three groups of people today in this message. The first group of people we'll see is the hopeful crowd. 
The second group of people will be the confused disciples. And then the third group of people will be the enraged leaders, the Pharisees, the guys that hate Jesus and want to get rid of Jesus ultimately. And we see the hopeful crowd in verses 12 through 15. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to go ahead and open it. Um, in, the, in the title of the Facebook post, I did my best to put that passage of Scripture in there, so hopefully you have it open already. Or in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, I'm going to be in verses 12 through 15 to start with, and it's the hopeful crowd, and it reads as follows. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they had heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They think Jesus is their king. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's coat, on a donkey's colt, sorry. So we see this large crowd. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they start singing to him. And they're singing, they're actually quoting a passage of scripture there. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is actually taken from Psalm 118, 26. They believe that Jesus is now there and he has arrived. And in fact, they quote also Zechariah chapter nine verses nine, chapter nine verses nine, which says, "Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt." Now, what's interesting here is Jesus is not seated on an animal of royalty. Jesus is seated on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey, even on a very humble animal. Now, we don't know this for sure uh, because, as far as I'm aware, the passage of scripture doesn't tell us this. But I like to, at least in my mind's eye, think that Mary potentially rode a donkey to Bethlehem, where she was going to have Jesus. Uh, if you've seen the movie, um, oh, and I just blanked on the name of it, but it, it, it's the animals, um, and they are following the star. And uh, you see um, Mary and Joseph in there, and she's riding a donkey. And I like to think that Jesus is following kind of in that uh, in that line, but here, more importantly, he's fulfilling scripture because he is riding on a young donkey, as verse 14 says, and then the scripture says he's riding on a donkey's colt. Now, you would not expect for a king of any nation to be riding on a donkey's colt, but yet here Jesus is, the king of Israel, riding on a colt, the most humble animal of all creation. But the king of kings isn't riding into a Jewish capital city, that being Jerusalem, to conquer Rome, which is what they thought Jesus was doing. The, the Israelites, the, the people who were Jewish, the Jews, thought that Jesus was coming to conquer Rome as he's riding into the capital city. They think that Jesus is coming in to save the people from the Roman oppression. But the reality is, he's not coming in to save them from Roman oppression. He's coming to save them from the oppression of their own sin. And we're right in there with them. We're right in there with that crowd. Obviously not physically, we're not right there in there with them, because this is the year 2020, and this happened sometime between 81 and 8100. We're not physically in there with them, but so many times spiritually I think we are. So many times um, we, we want for Jesus to provide relief from our sins. We want Jesus to 
um, to be our king, but we don't recognize the full implications of what Jesus is doing, of what Jesus is getting ready to do for us even, of what he has done if we are now Christians. And these people were just like that. In fact, they, they realized later on, obviously, who Jesus really was. But at that particular moment, they wanted somebody to be their Lord. They wanted somebody to free them from Roman oppression. But they didn't necessarily want somebody to be their king in the sense of to rule over them. I think that at this point, the crowd wanted a king first. They wanted somebody to rule over them, to substitute for Rome but they didn't want somebody to necessarily mess with their daily lives, which is what Jesus has come to do. And that's why I say that we are very much like those people in a spiritual sense. We want somebody to be our king. We want somebody to, to, to be there, to be up there. He's up there, but we want to be down here doing what we want to do, not necessarily, not necessarily what Jesus wants us to do. We want somebody to potentially save us from hell, give us that fire insurance, but not necessarily to rule over our lives. But they weren't the only ones that were there. They were not the only ones that were watching Jesus come into Jerusalem. They were the only ones, as far as we see, that were hailing Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem but they weren't the only ones there watching Jesus enter into Jerusalem. The second grouping of people that we see entering into Jerusalem is the confused disciples. And what's interesting about this passage is the disciples only get one verse. Out of seven verses from 12 to 19, the disciples only get one verse. Verse 16 says this, These things the disciples did not understand at first. They didn't understand it at first, meaning they didn't understand what was happening then at that point. But when Jesus was glorified, so after the fact, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered what these things were written of him, that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. Jesus, give me grace. The disciples are looking at what's happening with Jesus, and they're scratching their heads and going, I don't get it. This crowd, they're saying, Hail, King Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but this is Jesus. I mean, this is the guy who, who we followed, who so oftentimes we, we put our heads on rocks for him. We had campfires with him. He, he taught us. We called him rabbi. They, they look at him as somebody who was their mentor. They don't look at Jesus as the king of Israel. But then, after the fact, they get it. It says, but when Jesus was glorified. Now, when was he glorified? Like, when, How do we know what that point was? Well, we know what that point was because Jesus was glorified after his resurrection. He appeared to people after his resurrection and in his true form. We, we see Jesus redeemed as he is. And so everything starts to click. Now what's interesting here is there were still some disciples, if you, if you know Thomas, there were still some disciples that after the fact were like, I don't know, like, I saw him die. I saw them drive the nails in his hands. I saw them stick that, that spear into his side. 
I'm not going to believe that it's Jesus until he appears to me. And then when the disciples are in the upper room and he appears to Jesus and Jesus appears to Thomas, he's like, it is Jesus. And they get it. And that's why it says, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things. Then being in the future, they remembered these things. What, what are the, these things? These things are Psalm 118.26. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Zechariah 9.9, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Those are the things that they remembered from this crowd shouting it. And they see Jesus after his death afterwards, and they look back in time. Isn't it funny how hindsight is always twenty twenty? You don't get it at that moment, but you look back and, and you get things. And these disciples had that hindsight. They look back and they go, that's why the crowd was saying that. Oh, face palm. Now we get it. And they realize later on after he's resurrected, that not only is he the king of Israel, but he's also Israel's Messiah, but even greater, he's the savior of the world. And we know this because one final word to this point. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 36, Peter, and I'm going to pause for a moment and say, I can totally relate to Peter. Peter is a shoot, aim, and then see what happens kind of guy. And that is totally me. Peter here is dropping it. He has a massive sermon that's going on before these people that are essentially persecuting them and going, you're preaching about this guy and, and why? This is what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 36 of Acts. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, concrete, that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, why is that important? Well, the word Christ that we translate out of the Greek and out of the Hebrew into English means Messiah. Jesus' name in his time period, when they said Jesus the Christ, it would have been Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. And so Peter here is saying Jesus was both Lord, King, Ruler, Owner, but he was also Messiah. He was the guy you were looking for. That's how we know that, that the disciples were no longer confused. They started out confused looking at Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem and going, we don't get it. Why are they calling our Jesus King of Kings? Why, why are they calling him the King of Israel? And then after the fact, they look and they go, oh, wow, we totally get it. And so often, this is the way that we too look at Jesus. Remember the day that I got saved, February 15th, 2004. I, I asked Jesus to come into my life and to change me, to forgive me of my sins. I confessed Him as Lord in the process. He cleaned me up. He purified me. He took my addictions to pornography and to cigarettes and to alcohol away. He made me sober and clean. And I was thinking, woo yay! And all these many years later, and the reality is I've only been saved for 16 years, which is a drop in the bucket compared to many people. But all these years later, I can look back and I see the day that I've gotten saved and I see where I am now and go, wow, look who Jesus is. Look what he's done in my life. 
I can look back on it and go, not only is, is He my Savior, but He's my Lord and He's my ruler. Why is this a big deal? Why is Jesus doing all this a big deal? Why, why is Him being called these things? And why is us recognizing that Jesus is this way a big deal? Well, simply this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 8-11 through 11 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. His obedience this coming Good Friday was to the Lord, to God, to His Heavenly Father. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee will bow on those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, someday we'll look back when we're up in heaven, when all of this is finished, we'll look back and go, Jesus is Lord, and we will bend our knee to Jesus. And we'll declare Him that way. And that will happen regardless of whether you are saved or you are lost. We will look back and we will no longer be confused disciples. We will be cleared disciples. We will have clarity. And we will see Jesus and we'll go, wow, look who Jesus is. Just as the disciples did in the days to follow Palm Sunday. But there's one more group here that sees Jesus as he's going into Jerusalem. They don't actually enter into Jerusalem with Jesus. Just as the disciples watched and went, we don't get it. And that's the enraged leaders what we would call the Pharisees. Now, for those of you who do not know who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees were, uh, we'll call them the enforcers of God's Word, of, uh, of the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, going through Malachi. And originally, the Pharisees were designed to enforce God's Word and to help people be driven towards God. They were designed to help somebody understand what laws they were breaking. And at some point in the past, up to this point now, things had gotten messed up. And the Pharisee, the Pharisees had taken God's Word and made it a burden to the people. To the point where they had become the best hypocrites in the world. In fact, Jesus himself, when he's facing off to the Pharisees, points this out. There's one Sunday, or for us it would be a Sabbath day, so a Saturday for them. There's one Saturday where uh, Jesus goes to the temple and he sees a man that's lame. And he says, be healed. And this Pharisee looks at him and says, I can't believe you've worked on the Sabbath day. Don't you know any better? And Jesus just goes off on the guy and says, how can you say you shouldn't work on the Sabbath when you yourself do work by tying up your donkey? Which was work in the Old Testament. And so as a result, every time Jesus and the Pharisees had faced off, Jesus pointed out their flaws to them. In fact, at one point, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be called a, a viper, a snake. But he calls these Pharisees vipers and says, 
How can you do these things? You're weighing my people down. And so these hypocrites are looking at Jesus. And they're seeing the people walk towards Jesus, walking away from the Pharisees, and they can't believe what's happening. In fact, in verse 19 it says this, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. They're talking to each other, to one another. You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after them. Now, to clarify, the world in this case does not mean um, the heathen world. This does not mean the unsaved people. When they say the world, it means the people that we're following us are now going after Jesus. And I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, so to speak. Now, obviously, they weren't in a building, but I would have loved to have been a mosquito flying around the Pharisees and watching these people go by because I wonder if they just heard conversations like this. They see two people walking by, and one of the people says to another person as they're walking into Jerusalem following Jesus, isn't this the Jesus that was from Nazareth? Joseph's boy, that, that carpenter? Hey, did... Didn't, didn't Jesus raise his best friend Lazarus from the dead? Isn't, isn't this that guy? Did, didn't he make a girl come back to life by saying two words, Talitha kum? And this little girl comes back to life and they immediately give her something to eat. Is this that Jesus? I bet the Pharisees were looking at these people walking by them and going, why are you following this guy? He's, in the, he's, he's crazy. And in fact, at his trial, they accuse him of that. The Pharisees see Jesus walking into Jerusalem, being as hailed as king, and they just can't believe what's happening. They see him being crowned, effectively, as the king of Israel. And they are dismayed they're astonished and what's funny is i think this happens a lot in churches see i think what happens in churches is people start to get saved and people start to repent of this of their sin people come down the altar and they kneel at the prayer tables they come up to the pastor and say jesus or, or they say pastor I need to confess sin. And they confess sin to the pastor even though they're confessing sin to, the, to God. And the pastor prays for them. Or, or they go to somebody who they've offended and they say, brother or sister, I've offended you. Forgive me for this. And they get right with God and revival breaks out in a church. And people are like, oh. And, and the people that are, oh are the people that are in what I would say power. And the reason why I use quotation marks is because power is a perceived thing. These people that think they were in power in the church get their dander up. and Oh, I, I, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And they, What's really happening is, is they see their power, their control over the church slipping away, and they start to panic, just as the Pharisees did. So they start to gossip. They, they start to spread lies. They start to cause trouble where there wasn't any trouble in the first place. And just as with their Pharisees' hearts, their own hearts are revealed for what's inside of them. Their own hearts are revealed 
and, and they see blackness. Jesus, in the process of reviving this church, reveals the blackness of their hearts, which is what happened with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like, we can't believe this is happening. We've got to do something about this. But what's funny is this. These two things happened to Jesus. These Pharisees had to do this to Jesus. Now, you're probably going to say, why did the Pharisees have to do that with Jesus? Why, why did they react to Jesus the way that they did? Well, they came up with a plan, as we already know, because this coming Friday is Good Friday. And they said, you know what? We're going to have him killed. They saw these people walking towards Jesus into Jerusalem, walking by them, and they said, days later, we're going to have him killed. So Judas approaches them, and they give Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And they say, Judas, help us find an opportune moment that we may kill him. But the irony is this. That's exactly what Jesus knew was going to happen. Jesus was born to die. As we already went back in Philippians chapter 2, we saw that. He was obedient to God even to the point of death. Our King Jesus came to die. Our King Jesus came to die for those who hated Him, for the Pharisees. Jesus died for the hypocrites. At the beginning of this, I mentioned that the title of the sermon was Whose King is Jesus? So what's the answer to that question? Whose King is Jesus? Well, the answer is this. Everybody's. He is the King of the crowd. He is the king of the disciples, and he is the king of the enraged leaders. Because if you'll remember this, back in Philippians chapter 2, it says, every knee will bow. But this is insanely good news. We call this coming Friday, Good Friday. And this is insanely good news. We're going to celebrate in a few days that this king has died for us. God died for us. And He did it willingly. And I know this because in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Jesus knew He was going to be resurrected from the dead. He had said it many times. He said, if you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up again. <laughs> No one has taken it away from me, my life, but I lay it down again and I have the authority to take it up again. So Jesus says, the, the reason, one of the reasons the Father loves me, other than the fact that I'm just a son, is the fact that I'm going to take my life and I'm going to lay it down and then I'm going to take it right back up again. Nobody has the authority to kill me or take my life but me. Jesus allowed the Pharisees to kill him. 
You've, you've probably heard this in uh, some crime dramas before, but they played right into his hands. Well, the Pharisees played right into his hands. Jesus willingly died for me and for you. And nobody else would do it. Nobody else could do it. Only Jesus Christ, who is God and who is also man, could die for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrated, God showed us His love, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Whose king is Jesus? Jesus can be your king today. Now, you may be wondering, well, Brother John, how is that possible? You know, we have a president. We do have a president, and we should live under his authority. But ultimately, we should live under Jesus Christ's authority. And if Jesus Christ is not your king, if you want to be saved from your sins, if you want to have eternal life, if you want for Jesus to be your king, it's this simple. Simply do as Romans says. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And you shall be saved. In just a minute, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing a song of invitation. Now, I'm not expecting anybody, obviously, to come forward, because you can't come forward. But I do invite you, during the time of invitation, to do business with God, to do business with Jesus, to do business with this King. And maybe that means that you need to renew your life. In Jesus Christ. Maybe that means you need to get saved. I'm going to be leading us in a prayer of salvation. And it's not the words that are magical. It's the intent of your heart that makes it happen. If you need counseling, my email address and the church phone number will be in the description of this video later on. I would love to talk to you. Let's bow for a moment. And if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you would like to be saved of your sins, if you would like for Jesus to be your King and your Lord, simply say this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I confess you as Lord and I believe in my heart you were raised from the dead. And I ask you to give me eternal life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.